Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Womenhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla, and for today's episode, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Danielle Kayser. She is managing partner at Menstrual Health Hub. Danielle, thank you so much for joining this podcast. Hi, Natalia. I'm really happy to be here. I'm very happy to have you here because there's so much to talk about, about your organization and the incredible work that you are doing. The Menstrual Health Hub, I've been hearing about it for quite some time by several, yeah, <laughs> by several organizations in Mexico, in Uruguay, and um, they have, you know, referred to me quite sometimes um, to approach you. And once I started learning about your website, like, it was incredible, the work that you're doing. Can you share with us what is your social enterprise and how you approach menstrual health education? Sure. So um, we, as the Menstrual Health Hub, are a community platform um, for the global community of people working across menstrual health issues. So anyone anywhere in the world that is interested in menstrual health from a more critical perspective, working on it from education, working to push policy, innovating around menstrual health. We have created an online home or a community of purpose, as we like to call it, that will be relaunching in September. So right now it's just a website, but come end of September, um, it's going to be more of like a social networking and knowledge platform to enable people to connect more easily and help each other out with um, specific needs or strengths. So... Um, our social business is actually called Madami, and Madami is a social innovation agency that specializes in gender, female, and menstrual health. Wow. And we work across the public and the private sector so that we can help create better products, programs, and services that actually meet the health needs of women and girls. And we use the menstrual cycle as this really critical entry point to female health across the life cycle because without it, a lot of the things that happen later on in life um, don't really make a lot of sense unless there's a concrete and finite understanding of why menstrual health <laughs> is so so critical and so important. So um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that you know you understand that Madami. Um, Actually, we rebranded the Menstrual Health Hub as Madami this year in mm -hmm. June. Um, and for the last five years, we were really running with the Menstrual Health Hub. But now it's become more of a the community platform for our social business. Wow. I, I commend you for this innovative approach <laughs> to this business because it's incredible how you have connected several dots. And we are going to dig deeper into that uh, further in this conversation, but I wanted to touch base on your approach to menstrual health education. You are intersecting two SDGs, the Gender Equality and the Clean Water Initiatives with a women-centered design. How did you make this connection? How, how that, what was the moment of impact that led to that connection? So, um, menstrual health actually involves much more than just the two SDGs. It involves eight different SDGs, but the primary ones are around education, health, 
clean water and sanitation, um, gender equality, which is probably the one that we lead with the most, um, as well as uh, responsible uh, consumption and the partnership, of course. So um, menstrual health from our uh, approach is really about all of these. Um, where I started my career in this space was really around menstrual hygiene management. Mm -hmm. So this is really um, a wash sector terminology. And essentially, um, way back in the early 2000s, there were people working on uh, creating toilets in um, poor countries and poor areas and creating really nice toilets, but then realizing, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, <laughs> girls are still not going to school. Why do we think this is? And a lot of the people who were making these toilets were men, um, the technical experts. And so because of the work of Marnie Summer, who's a really amazing researcher, she really came to understand that um, it's, it's due to menstruation and the inability to hygienically manage one's period that girls were not like showing up in droves after these toilets were built because they weren't actually built for their needs in mind. Um, so a lot of work has been done since um, the early 2000s to make menstrual hygiene management, or MHM, as it was called, a real priority in the wash sector. And um, you know, in the in the in the last few years, um, and I hope you've noticed this as well, menstrual health and periods have actually become um, like a topic that people are talking about more and more or like actively breaking taboos and destigmatizing periods um, in, in new and innovative ways. So uh, yeah, like the, the clean water and um, gender equality, I think intersect in a really interesting way, but you can't really think about them without thinking about health, without thinking about education, um, and without thinking about um, so many of the other SDGs. Yeah, um, I was doing a training with CIWI, the Stockholm International Water Institute, and they were talking as well about water, how disconnected people approach this um, this sector, what the water sector, like we don't connect it to gender, to climate change, to like other issues that are intrinsically connected to water. And in this case, the menstruation is deeply connected as well with our, you know, workforce, with our productivity, with our equality in certain societies, with the discrimination that we may face culturally or stereotypically. Um, it's, it's important that we make that connection. And I, I wanted to ask you, because you, you have done also an internal work in your organization, which is to honor your menstrual cycle. And for me, that was incredible. When I first approached you to schedule this interview, I was very surprised because you were telling me, you know, where, where were the best days to be on point for interviews. Um, how that conversation started in your work environment? That's really, I'm happy that you're asking this because as much as the work that we do on the outside around menstrual health advocacy, there's still a really big divide in the menstrual health community about what menstrual health actually means, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are working on it from this cyclical wisdom uh, uh, perspective, which is what I will 
talk with you about in the next answer. But then a lot of people are really talking about it from a human rights perspective or from, um, you know, a health and equality perspective or from a democratizing access perspective. So um, it's just the reason it's so great to be working in this space is that you could literally connect menstrual health to so many different areas, um, inside, outside, around, underneath, etc. So um, internally, um, as a person who menstruates, um, I think it's really important that we actually understand what's going on inside of our bodies, not just that we bleed once a month, but that there's this dynamic um process that's going on every single month this dynamic and beautiful process of the human female body going through its reproductive heartbeat right so um we have four phases of the menstrual cycle uh menstruation coming first the second being the follicular phase the third being the ovulatory phase when ovulation um it occurs the fourth phase being the luteal phase which is uh, the phase before menstruation. So within this dynamic um, cycle that we all are all too familiar with, we actually don't understand what's causing all those things to happen. And it comes down to sex hormones. Sex mm-hmm. hormones actually drive so much of what we do. Like it drives our, um, our thoughts, it drives our instincts, it drives a lot of our cravings, it drives the way we think. And um, during the first half of the cycle, after uh, menstruation or like when, you know, towards the end of menstruation, um, we start to produce a lot of estrogen. And this estrogen is what is usually found in in men to get them going, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's a a very um, needed hormone to be able to like get up out of your bed and take on the day Mm -hmm. and, you know, be social. And um, biologically, your body is preparing for the opportunity to find a mate. So within a lot of women in a um, healthy menstrual cycle, as estrogen is increasing, some things are happening inside your body, like your voice is getting a little higher, your face is getting a little bit more symmetrical, your body is getting a little bit more pear-shaped. And in addition to your cervical mucus changing so that your body is like being programmed towards finding a... Uh, a penis that has sperm to implant so that you can potentially uh, reproduce. So during this time, we are literally like on the prowl doing like all the things that we need to do to get that happen to, to happen. And as soon as ovulation hits, the estrogen levels really start to plummet. And what happens in the opposite fashion is progesterone levels start to increase. And progesterone is the exact opposite kind of hormone to estrogen. Um, It's more about taking things easier, um, maybe slower, sleeping more. It's actually like a pregnancy hormone. And the reason that your body is producing it is because it is hoping or it hoped that during that ovulatory window, there was a sperm that met the egg that was coming down to implant into the side of the uterus to create a fetus and thus hopefully um, create offspring. And so during that second half of the cycle, a lot of people who are in touch may realize that um, they're not as social or not as active or maybe not as interested in um, being or like just not as sharp as uh, they might have been two weeks or a week prior. And in this time, 
Um, it's recommended to explore more creative projects, do more of the hard work, like um, writing reports, reflecting, not having as many conversations or Skype calls or like all the things on the to-do list. Mm -hmm. And um, for this reason um, of simply like cycle syncing, as it's called, I've seen a lot of women become more um, like happier in their lives, essentially, because we are programmed into the the silly myth that um, every day needs to look the same all the time. Yeah. And that we're constantly, constantly working towards productivity. Gotta be productive, gotta be productive, gotta be productive. And um, if that were the case, then there would be daylight all the time, right? Mm -hmm. If that were the case, then we would constantly be um, breathing in, you know? Like, but that's not the way the world works. There's yin, there's yang, there's um, like ebbs and flows of the tides. There's the breath that goes in and it goes out. There's the day and there's the night, there's the seasons. And so we also forget that we're human beings that live cyclically and rhythmically as well. And um, yeah, I think like we, when, when we listen to ourselves and listen to how we're actually feeling, then we're able to replenish and rest uh, and, and reflect during that second half and then do, do, do more on that first half. Yeah, I feel like that's very refreshing to incorporating company culture because that oftentimes, and we see also in international relations, it's as if we as women, researchers, activists, entrepreneurs, have to be neutral about our body experience because that could get into the way of our professionalism because yep. we are ingrained into a system that privileges logic over emotion and in the in the time that we start you know like sharing hey i'm feeling down today or i don't have that much energy i'm on my period or something like it gets um you know, it, it gets used as an excuse, yeah, to, to put us down. And and I don't think that we need to hide or reject this part of, of who we are. And yeah, I, I don't know how other people are approaching this, but have have you seen in your work uh, environment changes? Like this has helped your company thrive and the team members? Um, I think it's about balance. Okay. Right, We need to be able to understand that we can only do our best when we're giving our best. Mm -hmm. And there's like scientifically and biologically like reasons and times for that. So um, I personally practice it or try to. It's not always perfect. Um, and there's also um, a lot of um, cyclical coaches that are starting to plug into this. Most of them are working in... Um, white Western countries uh, in Europe and the US, but I do see a trend having this uh, kind of spill over into the next phase of menstrual education into the future because once you know this, you can't really forget about it, right? You you might not practice it, but it's, it's, it's important to understand that like with the day comes a night as well um, and uh, there's just there's, there's, there's limits to our productivity 
uh, and it's not about productivity necessarily, yeah. right? It's about it's about um, balance and living in balance with yourself and uh, not racing against the clock to get so many things done because <laughs> we we're, we're not made that we're humans, you know. Yeah. We're meant to just be, not meant to make money or. Um, build careers we've, these are all stories that we've told ourselves yeah on that note i wanted to ask you about your human rights based policy approach and how you're advocating um for menstruation in different levels from the grassroots to international to business levels um how is your human rights based policy what is what does it stand for so we don't have a human rights-based policy, but we have um, created a lot of thought leadership around why menstrual health is a matter of human rights. Okay. So what we're noticing um, within the last few years is that as there's been an increase in menstrual activism and menstrual health, uh, people saying, oh, menstruation is a human right, or menstrual hygiene is a human right, menstrual health is a human right, we were like, actually, that's not correct. Like. Um, let's let's deconstruct this actually so that people can understand the relationship of menstrual health to human rights. And so what we um, what we really want to get the message across is is that um, like the biological fact of menstruation shouldn't be made an obstacle to live, right? But because of um, limited access to education or limited access to water sanitation and hygiene, it does become an impairment to actualizing a, a number of human rights. So human rights in and of themselves are interdependent and interrelated, right? So when one right is denied, it might directly affect the ability to enjoy other rights. And so with the right to health, it's important to keep, the, keep in mind that this right is connected to lots of other human rights. Um, and menstrual health then is a matter of the right to health, the right to education, the right to gender equality, the right to dignity, the right to water, and among others. So this is something that we really um, have to keep pushing, especially on social media, as we see younger, um, amazing period advocacy organizations say menstrual hygiene is a is a human right. Oh no no, it's actually not because actually um, another thing to add is that hygiene in and of itself is actually a habit, right? Mm -hmm. Hygiene is a personal choice to practice a habit, and so you can't actually claim the right to a habit. Um, you have the right to the conditions that enable you to practice that habit. Uh, like you don't have, there's no right to brush your teeth, right? There's no human right to um, dental hygiene, yeah. but you do have the right to water. Um, and this is very much uh, tied up with that kind of habit. So um, for us, it's really important that we understand the language first because there's this international common vision um, that has been deliberated uh, on for many, many, many years and only in the last few years has menstrual even made it into human rights documentation. It's starting to actually be acknowledged as, um, yeah, like a critical entry point for the actualization of so many of these rights. 
Yeah, you know, it makes me think about like the the recent trend of celebrities not <laughs> washing themselves, not bathing, and that's a habit, you know, like that's not a right. They have access to water, but they choose not to bathe or not to clean themselves too often. Um, and is that I, happening now? Is this like a, yeah. a thing? I haven't heard yeah, it's happening in Hollywood, like Ashton Kutcher, um, Jake Gyllenhaal, like several celebrities have said that they don't um, wash too often just because they don't feel like they want to clean themselves. Um, and, you know, it has sparked a whole different conversation on, you know, like how often do celebrities wash and, you know, like all this weird stuff. But it's interesting, um, this approach, because I think also the 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 menstruation is like a part of our human biology you know and it's it's it could be a right and that's something that i want to ask you is the right to have a dignified menstruation which is a campaign that is here in mexico is it a right could could it be seen as a right to have a dignified menstruation yes i think it's a matter of the right to dignity okay because it's 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 not yeah it's really difficult when you're talking about human rights language because it's so connected with everything right so um the to answer your question yes you have a right to have a dignified menstrual experience that would be correct language to 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 put forward because the menstrual experience um, in order for it to be dignified, there's preconditions that you need to have, right? There needs to be a supportive social environment. There needs to be um, adequate water sanitation and hygiene facilities. There needs to be disposal, uh, you know, that's, that's hygienic and clean, where um, the used pad or the blood or whatever is safely disposed of. There's soap and water for, for cleaning oneself and one body afterwards. Um, all that is tied up into the, the dignified menstrual experience. But just the menstrual hygiene in and of itself, it's not a right, but mm-hmm. it's it's tied up so deeply with um, the fulfillment of human rights. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you this question because it's like a given for any interview at this point. Um, how has the COVID-19 global pandemic um, shifted your research and advocacy work? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big question. So um, we could talk the whole hour, <laughs> this, but say maybe um, three things or summarize it into three points. One, um, since the pandemic, and I'm sure you've seen this everywhere because of the work that you do, um, there's just been a sliding prioritization of anything to do with gender equality. Um, any kind of um, progress that had been made towards goal number five has really slipped. Uh, we saw an increase of um, domestic violence cases, um, you know, when girls, still not in some places, aren't going to school, they don't have the critical touch point where they can learn about menstruation, you know, either from a school environment or from their peers, uh, and or get access to the products that they need if they are um, not so socially, um, economically rich enough to get those things at home, or there's too many taboos uh, standing in the way for them to actually ask for or pay for those things themselves. So one is that menstrual health was just 
like really hot as an issue before um, the pandemic hit, and then uh, the pandemic um, <laughs> took, took 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 the news cycle uh, and still is in many ways. And number two. Um, we've seen a real disruption, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, of those access to supplies. Like logistics chains were completely halted for um, a few weeks, if not months, and so people were not able to get the actual products that they need. And even in places like here in Germany, there were no more period products on the shelves. Like it was that time when everyone was doing this um, hamster buying and buying lots of toilet paper. Yeah. People were also hoarding uh, menstrual products in addition to the fact that like people who live more remotely or in last mile kind of locations um, that logistics uh, chain was being stopped like many many steps ahead of uh, them getting the critical things that they need to live uh, healthy and dignified lives mm. so um, the last thing is um, maybe a little bit more recently is that as the world rushes to get vaccinated, um, we're noticing a really alarming trend where um, women are experiencing side effects on their menstrual cycles. So um, there's been, until now, um, very anecdotal evidence from friends and things on the internet that uh, women are experiencing a, a, a slew of different side effects, whether it's more painful periods, um, a missed period, um, earlier period, later period, some kind of effect on their menstrual cycle. And we just put out a survey um, that's open right now if anyone wants to take it, just to share their experiences. Okay. Note, we are 100% pro-vaccine. This is not a political discussion. It's more about um, how can women's menstrual cycles and the differences in our biology actually be uh, taken into account to make sure that public health interventions such as vaccines are safe for everyone who's using them. You know, I'm sure you've heard about the Johnson and Johnson vaccines were stopped yeah. because there was blood clots that were um, found in women. If 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 that had been happening to men and mm -hmm. men started experiencing blood clots, they would have shut down the whole operation. And I think showing how um, even now to this day, my colleague went to go get her second vaccine, um, and the man who was giving her the vaccine, she was like, "Hey, I just wanted to ask, like." Um, you know, will this have an effect on my menstrual cycle? Because I've heard from a lot of friends that it is. And he's like, no, 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 there's absolutely no evidence to show that. That's, that's bullocks. And she was just like, you know, she, she gulped and just shut up because she, she knows mm -hmm. <laughs> that there are thousands and thousands of people who are reporting things. And so I guess we're just seeing kind of inequality continue to uh, manifest its ugly head. In, uh, in in this daily life, in this daily like intervention that's supposed to be designed for everyone, but it's clearly not. Yeah, I think that also um, these logistic chains and the whole vaccine um, um, rollout is affecting um, in unequally to the global south as well. And I, I wanted to ask you, because I know that you have launched a hub in Latin America in the Spanish language. And I would like to know, 
you know, what are the trends or any concerns that you're seeing from, you know, like developing countries or countries on the global south? Mm-hmm. I think it's exactly that. It's, it's even getting the vaccine in the first place. Um, we have seen that the these countries have been harder hit by the pandemic in general, um, whether it's because of governments to blame or um, just the, the nature of pandemic um, pandemic um, just the crises and the way that, that, that it's been handled. Um, we're seeing that in um, yeah, like people of color and in um, developing economies have just been so much harder hit and also the last to receive vaccines or they receive their first vaccine and then the second vaccine appointment keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed and this is uh, a horrible shame because there was a plan in action with COVAX and UNICEF and being able to buy up lots of vaccines to prevent exactly this from happening but um, we see very much that capitalism reared Mm -hmm. its ugly head Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know the U.S. like hoarded so many millions of vaccines, many of which went bad um, because there was too many of them and because there's people refusing to take them. Um, and then, yeah, but what about everybody else? So um, I would be really interested in five years to read, you know, the analysis of how this whole thing went down um, and how it's just revealed and intensify the uh, inequalities that we already knew existed here in our in our planet between people. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wanted to remind people that are listening that we are going to list down below in the description box all the links uh, to the survey of Madami as well as the different um, initiatives that they have in Latin America and around the world. So don't worry about all the links that um, Danielle is sharing with us. We will be featuring on the link on the description box. Um, Danielle, I, I wanted to continue this conversation on the pandemic on uh, the economic side because we see as well that the World Economic Forum as well as other big institutions have talked about this great reset since 2020. And this conversation about sustainability and earth care and greener economies and that has led to as well to conversations on how to have sustainable menstruation. Um, We have addressed this in the podcast uh, in several episodes, but one of the things that has really worried me personally and professionally is this part of the awareness campaigns on sustainable menstruation and how they are focusing on blaming women for their menstrual health products choice, regardless of whether they have access to clean water or not, etc. And for this waste that they create, as if we are, you know, like the evil <laughs> creating all these ways, etc. Um, what's your point of view in terms of menstruation and environment? Oh, it's a big one. So, um, yes, I've also seen, I've seen this sustainable menstruation conversation unfold for a very long time now. And what you're talking about at this point 
is the people who are catching on to the conversation late or joining the conversation late and see an opportunity to make change fast Mm -hmm. rather than acknowledging that this conversation has been going on for the last 15, if not longer, 20 years. There is merit in the argument to try to get people to be using um, things in their daily lives that are um, more sustainable, right? Like we see this with um, plastic bags, we see this with um, coffee cups and water bottles, all these things that we kind of maybe understand, oh yeah, maybe we could could be doing it better sometimes. Um, I find it grossly unfair uh, that there is a a, a push to make women or try to persuade them to use um, cups or reusable products before even giving them the proper um, education about what is available to them and what they can be exploring, right? So um, the core, the core belief, the quad core belief of what feminism is, is to be able to do whatever we want as women, right? Like not having other people make choices for you and being able to live in a world that is um, just like what men have, you know? They can, they can kind of do whatever they want. We want to be able to do whatever we want. And a lot of that comes with being able to make your own informed decisions that aren't influenced by other people or made for you by other people. And so what we really have been pushing for from the get-go, and this has not been accepted everywhere, is informed choice around menstrual products. So instead of saying, you should use these things, it's, hey, look, all of these things exist. Um, There is a spectrum of disposable versus reusable. And, um, you know, depending on your comfort level, depending on... Um, the, 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 the shape of your vaginal canal and the height of your cervix, there's lots of different things that you can be using to manage your menstruation. And, you know, just like when we go into the supermarket and there's like the candy aisle, sometimes we feel like jelly beans or sometimes we feel like um, Starburst or something fruity. Other times we feel like chocolate. Other times, we don't feel like having any of that stuff at all and just feel like having a banana, you know, and and choosing a healthier choice that day. That's okay, right? Like, (laughs) why why shouldn't we be able to apply that same logic to our menstrual management options? Um, Because ultimately, that's that's what we want, right? We want to have choice and we want to be able to have um, control over our choices. So um, blaming women for not trans transitioning to um sustainable menstrual products is uh it's a gross violation and it completely misses the mark and when you actually look at the waste that is produced in the world such a small amount of it actually comes from menstrual waste like let's talk about agriculture let's talk about like huge um corporations like flooding uh, entire waterways with pollution. It's not coming from individuals themselves, and there needs to be educational campaigns around informed choice, first and foremost, 
to get people to even know that that can be an option for them, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is that maybe one cycle you use a cup, and then the next cycle you're trying something else, and then the next cycle you go back to using your cup, and then the next cycle you're like, you know, I feel really comfortable with these pads, and whatever you would like to choose, I think that that's more important right now than the environmental considerations. But it, it really depends on which fight you're fighting, right? Yeah. Is, are, you dri- are you driven by SDG number five? Or are you driven by SDG, uh, you know, number six on the environment? Or, you know, like, I, th- I think we don't need to be policing um, people's choices. We need to ensure they have choices. I love that approach <laughs> to ensure that they have choices. And, you know, I, I got this message very clearly here in Mexico. I've learned so much about the menstrual movement here. And we have um, gathered for the Women and Water Fest, um, to the Give Back edition was with Romper la Regla, which is a grassroots uh, feminist organization here. And I've learned uh, through them that we cannot all advocate for menstrual cups because not everybody has access to clean water all the time and for some it's not even just access to clean water it's like some people don't want to yeah with with a rubber glass up their vagina yeah yeah that's okay and like god it's, it's okay to not be okay with that you know like Um, it infuriates me actually because I know a lot of people who push this. Yeah. <laughs> um, regardless, I mean, there there is the clean water aspect, but then there's also just the I don't feel like it. Yeah. You know, and, and some people just keep pushing. Yeah, and I think that the same goes with recyclable pads. Like, for example, if we go on the agricultural side, that's a whole different conversation because most recyclable pads are made with cotton. And cotton uses four times water than regular other crops. So it takes more, like, it depends so much on, you know, like, your point of view, like, what you were saying before. Where do we stand? Which which XDD is more important to us? And it's, um, is it possible that at some point we will unify Instead of seeing through the lenses of, oh, I'm just going to go the environmental right, or I'm just going to go the water right. I'm more seeing, as you said before in, in, the, in the beginning, like in an intersectional and, and interdependent way. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that thing about the organic um, pads. So though in in a recent study that's been done it's going to be published in the next few weeks or months here in germany um they did this like really intense sustainability testing of all different menstrual products ranging from period panties to reusable pads to you know commercialized pads to organic pads to commercialized tampons and organic tampons to menstrual cups and what they actually found is that the biggest um offender um or the one that's using the most resources is actually organic pads. Because as you said, um, cotton requires so much water and also the transport yeah. of these is quite high. So, you know, the organic mm, the organic ones are really interesting because it's not necessarily that they're better for the environment, but they're better for your body. Mm. And that's when you can really wow. 
figure out if people are acting in their own best interest or the best interest of, of uh, the planet. Well, I, I think that that's like a huge conversation to have, you know, because we don't see it as that. We, we have shifted the whole conversation to the environment rather to the body of women and our bodies continue to be like, you know, used and for commercial purposes or for, you know, like cultural domination in a way. And um, I, I, I want to expand on that in, probably in a new episode on this conversation between body and the environment. But I wanted to finish this interview asking you about the global menstrual map that you have on your website. I consider it to be like an incredible tool and would love to learn more about it. Sure. So the global menstrual map uh, came about a few years ago when I was just like, we need to know who's working on periods worldwide, like mm -hmm. simple. So um, to date, it's just been a Google map. But as of September, we're going to be stopping the Google map and having it be on our website and actually having it be an interactive tool where you can go in and learn way more about those organizations. So right now it's a little bit like um, superficial in terms of the information that you can see. So once um, the platform launches at the end of September, um, you log in and you can actually check out all 931 um, organizations around the world that are working on periods and in addition to this in addition to just knowing who is there we're adding uh, a sophisticated new element where people can list what they need um, mm. and where they're weak and um, the idea is that in this new feminist revolution that we are uh, aiming to create and have been working on leading um, is that there's much more of a barter system going on of, you know, people helping each other out, organizations helping each other out. You know, if one has got a, like, really great, like, fundraising experience and the other's got a really great social media experience, wow, maybe they can have a collaboration where instead of financial resources that are exchanged, they're actually, like, getting tasks and real organizational needs fulfilled. So, yeah, um, yeah the... The map is going to really expand into a, a, a like a community of helpers and people who, um, as individuals or as organizations, um, can can get to know about each other's um, strengths and uh, weaknesses. Maybe not weaknesses, needs better. Yeah, and the, the way that they can collaborate, because I think that many people want to engage, but they don't know who's doing what and where are they based and how to connect with the other to create synergy or create, you know, possible um, joint projects and, you know, create more impact. And I think that's a beautiful tool. And I wanted to ask you the given question, which is how can organizations join the map and the registry? So as of right now, they can just go onto our website and then there's this, you know, right then and there, join the global registry, put in their information, um, and then that automatically um, puts you into the data transfer for the new platform. Um, once the platform launches, you will be able to log in and claim your organization if you've already filled out the registry. And this means that you can like retrieve all that information and then add to it, edit it. Some people filled out their 
organizations' profiles in like 2018, and things have changed since then. So um, yeah, going to mhhub.org is a great start, and that's where you can also in addition to just the map and the registry, um, get to know our Knowledge Hive, which is a growing database of menstrual health information around four main areas, research, education and learning, policy, and innovation. So mm-hmm. we've pretty much just um, kind of curated uh, all the things that we've seen in the last few years and organize it into categories so that it's helpful for people working in the space so that we can prevent duplication so that we can prevent this like competition yeah. um, that's really unnecessary um, and ensure that there's like more um, we stand a chance for more collective impact if we're at least aware of who's doing what where around the world also, I think that it provides like a good, you know, like ground base for possible investors because, you know, it could be like a good place for, you know, uh, gender lens investing or people that are seeking these type of projects to know which ones to support. Or if people like on regular basis that want to give back and they don't know where, this could be like a good place. Yes, that's that's uh, all things that we also have had in mind and um, reasons that we want to draw people in because there's so much opportunity in the menstrual health space. I mean, listen, like women and girls and uh, people with uteruses, they menstruate for 40 years <laughs> over the course of their lives, from menarche to menopause, from 11 years old till, you know, 50, like, This is a big deal, and it is not anything that we should be um, like like pushing down anymore. It's like a, 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 a sometimes beautiful, sometimes painful. Um, it's, it is life, right? Like mm-hmm. it is life. And the way that we embrace or approach life is the same way we need to embrace and approach menstrual health, since it is actually the essence of life because every um every person is a product of nine missed periods right and every period is like the potential home that never was right Mm -hmm. so um all of that is literally lifeblood and i'm sick of people telling me otherwise (laughs) no i I totally agree with you i feel like ah i need to continue doing this type of interviews because i get inspired to do more each time and danielle i i know that in september you have the new website like like the new launch do you have any upcoming events or projects or any yeah 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 yeah. i'm so glad that you asked about that because i always forget to talk about like the important things that are coming up (laughs) so um, on september 30th we're going to be um doing our first online educational event that's called um peaceful periods and or it's actually called know your cycle peaceful and productive periods so this is going to be the first time that we are helping you kind of become friends with your cycle and um, two of our amazing colleagues maria carmen and aurelia are going to help you learn how to manage your cycle and have a more productive and peaceful period so um, this is the first event and then at the end of october we're going to be doing an event on menstrual uh menstrual product choice So my co-founder Milena and I are going to be doing a whole run through of all the different product options that 
could be available. Um, what are some of the benefits um, to really create that space of informed choice so that people can go online or go into their local pharmacies or actually demand from their local pharmacies that they start to carry more products that they want, whether it's menstrual cups or organic pads, whatever. Um, and aside from that, we have some really cool projects that we've been working on. Um, one is this vaccine in the period uh, survey, which anyone who's had a vaccine um, and has experienced any menstrual changes, we'd love to just hear from you and, and, and add that to our, our understanding of the situation. Um, we've also been working on a really great project with um, menstrual product producers on standards around menstrual products because oh. this is a this is a really big issue. So many uh, menstrual products are just created willy nilly without the right um, quality standards in place, and so there's been a big push in the last few years uh, for for that standardization. But a lot of it has come from the companies themselves, and so we've done a consultation with companies um, to try to influence the conversation so that there's more international, national standardization that's applied to menstrual products, like with anything else. It's a health product. Um, so that's coming out. And then last but not least, we've been doing a, a vignette series called Decolonizing Menstruation, oh. which um, really started out as a, a way to create space after um, the murder of George Floyd and the U.S. and this whole racial reckoning um, that happened there at that moment um, to create more space for, um, for Black-led uh, and other um, minorities work in the menstrual health space to be highlighted. So uh, we're also working with a, a partner in Canada to, to kind of create a version that focuses on indigenous voices to kind of understand what should be restored about indigenous menstrual health practices um, so that we as a menstrual community, as like a whole sector, can become richer and more knowledgeable based on um, more diverse voices and less, uh, you know, white people like myself leading the conversation. Wow, that's incredible. And we will be listing all the links down below on the description box of this episode for everybody to check them out. Danielle, I look forward to continue this conversation with you in other spheres. And thank you so much for this incredible interview. Thank you so much for creating the opportunity and um, I'm really excited to link you up with our Latin America um, uh, person, her name is Juliana, and she um, she could probably tell you more if you wanted to get more into the yeah. Latin American specific trends and um, what's going on there. So um, right after this, I'll make sure to connect you because I'm a, a magical Cupid in this space as well. <laughs> Great, thank you so much. If you love this episode, share with us your comments on our Instagram account at womenhood underscore IR. And remember to subscribe to our monthly newsletter to receive the latest news and upcoming events for our community. If you want to support our podcast growth, join our Patreon and help us provide economic opportunities to our female collaborators across the globe. All the links will be available on this episode's description box. Thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you soon.